You are now tuned into anything's potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gon' be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. Your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie. I'm seeing it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hay with a brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard? Aziz. AJ, I, I see you, player. Come on. Welcome to Anything is the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined live from Las Vegas, the kid, the god, the legend, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you with big news. Congress has passed a $1 trillion. Uh, no, no, no. I'm just joking. No, Jay King doesn't want to speak about uh, the bipartisanship. We're talking about Dennis Schroeder here. The Celtics have signed Dennis Schroeder to the mid-level exception. They are void being hard cap one year, $5.6 million. Schroeder, who turned down a four-year, $80 million contract offer last year from the Lakers, uh, going for betting on himself again, and the Celtics uh, get a veteran point guard, something that uh, seemingly every pundit has said they needed to get this offseason. Jay, what is your reaction to the Schroeder? Schroeder? Is it Schroeder? What's your reaction to the Schroeder signing? Uh. I mean, it's it was a complicated reaction because nuance, why, embrace nuance, baby. I don't think he's a great fit for the Boston Celtics. This Boston Celtics roster, I think, obviously they needed a little more scoring, but they need shooting. Their backcourt now has three thirty-three percent three-point shooters. Who are likely to play big minutes in Marcus Smart, Jason, Jason Richardson, Josh Richardson, and Dennis Schroeder, and so it's just a weird mix around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You have Schroeder, who's going to be playing for a contract on a one-year, basically prove-it deal. You have Ennis Cantor, who's coming back, sort of to you know, his his old home and probably going to be a third-string center after starting in Portland. You got Al Horford, who knows he's probably not part of the Celtics' long-term plans. You've got just a lot of moving pieces. And and for Ime Odoka, I think it's going to be a puzzle to get everyone on the same page. And there are going to be a lot of conflicting individual goals for the season. And so I, I think that's another layer to this. That, that could come into play. But but then the other part of this signing is that the Celtics got Dennis Schroeder, who is a highly productive player, who two seasons ago was second and sixth man of the year voting and averaged 18 points and four assists off the bench. And they got him for $5.9 million on a one-year deal without touching their future financial flexibility. So when you look at it that way, it's a no-brainer signing. They had to do it. They should have done it. 
and they can figure out the rest later. They, they needed more talent, um, and Schroeder is definitely a talented guy. Yeah, I think it's it makes sense just because why not? There's, there's like a very low risk uh, for this deal in terms of you just pay him for this one year. If he like turns his value around, maybe you can trade him uh, at the deadline. Maybe, and maybe you just like let him walk for nothing and just say, thanks for your year of service, Dennis Schroeder. Uh, like, and, but they didn't hurt their future flexibility. I think the offseason is interesting because they basically they've brought in Schroeder, Richardson, and Cantor. And, and Horford and got rid of Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, Tristan Thompson, and Shemi Ojale. And so I don't think that's really an upgrade in talent. I don't know if it's necessarily a uh, better fit for the roster because I still think, as we've been talking about this entire offseason, they don't have those wings um, that I think you, you just need to succeed in the NBA. But they basically were able to make all those moves, which I would describe at best as a kind of lateral moves and then they opened up all this kind of flexibility for the future. So they were able to kind of do all these things, uh, get off the Kemba contract, uh, get off tr- just having to deal with Tristan Thompson, maintain all this flexibility, not having to re-sign Fournier. And they still brought in some talented players. Like Josh Richardson is still a very talented defensive player, can do some things uh, on offense, Not like you mentioned, not a great three-point shooter. Schroeder, despite uh, – only shooting 33% from three last year, still averaged 15 points a game Uh, in his six man year. uh, He averaged close to 19 points a game. So I think it's interesting um, in that regard. The question for me is one, Truder thought he was going to get over a hundred million dollars. Is he ready to come in and does he expect to start? Does he expect to get 30 minutes a game? How much is he playing and do you have a crowded backcourt now where Smart, Richardson, Schroeder are all expecting 30 minutes? Have we just basically just – is Peyton Pritchard just pissed off right now? I'm very curious to see what the fit's going to be, but um, I do think it was a, a depth piece that they needed to add in a circumstance when I don't really know else who, who was on the market that's going to be the perfect 3 and D guy that you're getting for the deal that Schroeder signed. Yeah, there was basically nobody – in that mold who would have made a difference at that point in time. So to get Schroeder at the taxpayer mid-level exception, I mean, it's a steal. It really is. Um, that being said, you look at the roster and there's going to be a lot of pressure on Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford to play solid minutes. There are going to be, I think, you know, you, you say it's a crowded backcourt. I think some of those guys will just end up being the wings. Like Marcus Smart, I think, from what, I've, from what I've been told, the plan was to start him at point guard. I don't know if Schroeder will change that plan. Um, but Ime Odoka said he intends to put the ball in Marcus Smart's hands a lot more. So I, I, my guess would be that Smart is a starting point guard. I think now that you, they're super small, maybe Josh Richardson starts at two instead of bringing him off the bench. And then I think there's going to be – you know, a lot on Aaron Neesmith and or Romeo Langford to to prove that they can play. And that's, RJ, you that's just how it's going to be. Like you said, like they just don't have the wings and the wings with size that you really need in the NBA or at least proven guys. You know, if if Langford, if Neesmith can handle that, then they have Tatum, they have Brown. Smart and Richardson are, are both big guards who can handle a lot of that stuff. So they could ha- they could end up having the versatility 
but a lot of it comes down to whether those young guys are ready to do it. And and I don't know if they are, but Neesmith was hot yesterday. We'll, we'll get to Neesmith and we'll get to all the summer league analysis uh, moving forward. I think the question for me, I kind of like Dennis Schroeder in that six-man role because the defensive lineup of Smart, Richardson, Tatum, Brown, and Rob Williams, that seems like an elite five-man lineup. And I'm, I'm going to test you. You'll know all the statistics. What was the Celtics offense ranked last year? Because we know they had did not have a top they 10 were defense. So they were 10th. They lose Kemba Walker. They lose Evan Fournier. But Fournier had COVID and really didn't have a huge offensive impact. It feels like being 10th in the league was on the backs of Jason Tatum being Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, especially early on in the season, just shooting what, like 75%? And the, the offensive numbers were much better when Kemba was was in the lineup too. So th- there's a lot that has changed offensively for them. And as Ime Odoka was saying in his press conference, he wants Jalen Brown and Jalen Tatum to take – huge steps forward as playmakers, they need those guys to take huge steps forward as playmakers. And I think obviously when you look at the roster, one calling card for them could be the defensive ball pressure. They have a lot of gritty guards who can get up in you, who can pressure the ball, who can make things uncomfortable for ball handlers. Marcus Smart and Josh Richardson are two of the best in the entire league at that. They both have a lot of size, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they're, they're, they're wings who can make things uncomfortable for guards. They can make things uncomfortable for, for other wings. Um, and then Neesmith, Langford, like you have a lot of guys with defensive potential. Peyton Pritchard, he's another gritty guy. Dennis Schroeder, he's always been an agitator. The Celtics know that. Like Isaiah Thomas hit him, remember that, during the playoff series years ago. So they have a lot of guys that are in that mold of irritants. And I, I think that's how they're going to have to build their defense um, around that strength. And I think in a perfect offseason, they would have gotten more size, especially at p- the power forward position. You look you look at their roster like, what are they going to do there? I, I, I think they could play Al Horford significant minutes there. I think they could end up starting Al Horford at power forward. I think that's an option that will be on the table. I don't think that will be a good thing, or at least I have serious doubts about whether that would be a good thing. It did not work in Philadelphia, let's just say that. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, and obviously the the situation is different in Boston. Like Ben Simmons was a three in that situation, whereas in Boston it's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who are both very talented scorers and shooters at that spot. So maybe things are different. Maybe you can get away with that. But at the same time, like, that's that's an area of potential weakness for the Celtics that they don't have enough size there. They're going to have to be gritty. They're going to have to be up in guys. They're going to have to be fast and swarming and all that. And um, you know, Chris Dunn, if if he's if he's on the roster, if if they don't end up moving him, that's another guy. Like when he's healthy, if he's healthy, he's one of the better guard defenders in the entire league. And so. If he's healthy and it's smart, Richardson, Dunn, just hounding guys, then that, that's the beginning of, an, of a defensive identity. And, and that, that's what I think Ime Odoka will try to tap into. That's what I think that, that will be, you know, what he stresses from day one. And, and that's going to be how they're going to have to play because they don't really have the size in, in the front court, um, especially at, at like power four, like 
they just don't have a power forward. <laughs> they don't have. Well, I mean, other it's than just, like Jason Tatum, Tatum. And, Tatum and Brown can both play that spot, obviously. But I think one of the goals this summer was to go out and get bigger at that spot, and they didn't do that. So maybe Grant Williams takes a step forward. Maybe Al Horford plays plays that spot. Um, maybe they just go small, and they they'll have plenty of different lineup opportunities to go small because they now have some serious, serious guard depth. Yeah. I think the formula has to, is clearly we're trying to get, but we're going to try to be like a top five defensive team in the league. And then on the offensive end, it's Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, yeah. they, like you just, you're like trying to. And Al Horford, don't forget about Al Horford. Cause he, he he's really going to help with, with playmaking and opening things up. And Robert Williams too. Like he's another guy who, offensively very good but it feels like the clear just with all the people they brought in is like this teat lake and it's something that's been a staple of brad stevens teams in the past and it's definitely something that slipped last year is like they're going to be a high octane one of brad's favorite terms getting into the ball like like they're going to be high pressure defense and then on offense um it's just relying on tatum and brown and as um ime udoka mentioned in his what was that just like one of those random summer league press conferences that kind of happened? Yes, yeah, summer league scrum. He sp- he spoke at halftime of the the summer league game. It's weird. It's weird in league. Vegas. Like we're not allowed to go back in the area where the players and executives are allowed. But when someone speaks, we're like ushered into the back room and we're escorted, and it's just very bizarre. I think the thing that's interesting about Ime's comments about developing Tatum and Brown as playmakers is, you know what makes like a playmaker's job easier? Open uh, shooters who can, or guys who can knock down three pointers. So it's like, it's great if you want to put the ball in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's hands, but if you have Schroeder in the corner or you have Richardson in the corner or guys who are just not able to knock down those open threes, it doesn't really matter how good of a playmaker uh, Tatum and Brown are so it's like it's going to be they're going to be very reliant on those two guys creating offense and creating offense for others but they really haven't uh, surrounded them with kind of those knockdown shooters that you would want and it just really feels like they're just trying to build uh, this defensive identity and maybe maybe that doesn't matter if you can get a bunch of buckets in transition you can uh, uh, and you're really out like moving like that and then you just have Jason Tatum, who can be a thirty-point a guy night, and Jalen Brown, who can be a twenty-five-point uh, a guy night. Like that's maybe that's all you need to be a, a contender. From the Ime press conference, was there anything kind of other that stood out other than um, kind of talking about the playmaking of those two guys and Marcus Smart as the as the starting point guard? Anything else that came from? Uh, he said the Celtics have a ton of high-level young shooters, which number one. I'm not convinced. Number two, he must be talking about Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard. And I think that Neesmith and Pritchard in particular on this team, there are swing variables that could raise the ceiling for this team because you look at the roster and shooting is going to be an obvious, obvious need around Tatum and Brown. And you're not going to get it from Schroeder, you're not going to get it from Richardson, you're not going to get it from Smart. Those guys could all have better shooting seasons. They're not going to be knockdown guys. They're not going to be guys you don't leave. They're not going to be guys that teams are worried about. But Pritchard shot 
more than 40% last year. Neesmith hit seven threes in the summer league game, but beyond that, it's just summer league. He has a reputation as just a great, great shooter. And if he can take steps forward in his development and become that in year two, then that could really change things, I think, for the Celtics roster and give Ime Odoka a lot of different options to keep enough shooting on the court. So I think those two guys are going to be important. Pritchard obviously will have a lot of competition in the backcourt for minutes. Um, but Neesmith, like, he's a wing. They need wings. He's a shooter. They need shooting. I think he's going to be pretty important for their team. And and if if he is good, I don't know if he will be, but if he is good, that, that can really, really change things for them. Um, and, man, he was good yesterday. That he was. We'll get to the uh, two summer league games, but I just wanted to shout out all the uh, fans and commenters out there. If you're watching on the YouTube, you can see Jay, who refused to put down his shade because uh, he wanted the sunlight. But uh, many people are asking if you are in witness protection out there in uh, Las Vegas. And so, Jay, I just want to just blink if you are uh, okay and you are safe. Uh, out you there won't even there. be able to see me if I blink. That's a fair point. I cannot see your eyes right now. We are not making eye contact. Yeah, I've, I've got a total glare, but I had to. I had to keep the backdrop. I had no, to keep of, the the sun. Part of the fun of being in Vegas is waking up, like pulling up those shades, seeing the just ridiculous podcasting stream. at eight in the morning. Yeah, we we love the effort from here uh, from Jay King. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We've mentioned it a little bit, but um, Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith have just been very, well, Neesmith more so in the second game, but I think Pritchard has been very solid in these first two summer league games. Obviously, it's summer league. Obviously, everything comes with a grain of salt. But for two guys who are in their second year, that's what you want to see when you're in summer league. You want to see guys who are clearly the best players on the court. Peyton Pritchard seemed to have a clear handle of the game and was making the right decisions, showing off a little range. like A little range. A lot of range. That dude's got endless range. So the thing is, like, it's you can't read too much into it from a positive, but I think the, the thing you can do in summer league is, like, if someone shows out there in their second year and just looks lost, then that's a red flag. And so far there's not been red flags um, from Pritchard or Neesmith. Uh, Romeo has had a bit of a different path. I wouldn't say he's dominated. He did have one monster dunk. Uh, that was, was pretty damn cool. Pretty awesome. Yeah. He's got a new number, a new haircut. I'm not sure if we're seeing a new Romeo, but I'm curious. You've been at these games. Um at UNLV, what's been your impression, especially from those three guys, guys the Celtics uh, are going to need or want an impact from moving into next season? Yeah, I think with Pritchard, the the thing for him, as a rookie, he, he showed he could be a floor spacer. He showed he could be that secondary shooter. He had a, a bunch of games with, you know, four or more made three-pointers. He almost set the franchise record for most threes, in a single season for a rookie and Jason Tatum, who has a record and barely, barely beat Pritchard played like twice as many minutes. 
So he had a, a productive rookie season. The thing for him is how much can he grow as a, a playmaker? How much can he grow as a point guard? How much can he grow into all those other responsibilities that that you'd love to see him grow into? You know, because if he's just a shooter, if he's just a floor spacer at 6'2 or whatever he is, then then there's a limit to how good he could be. With but that if being he can, said, though, if he can run your offense, if if he can be the the lead ball handler, if if he can handle so, a lot of those playmaking duties, then that changes things for him, and that, that could change the trajectory of of his career. So I think it's been all good things on that front. Uh, one thing I've noticed a lot is they're really pushing the pace. Like he, he's looking to run. Joe Mazzulla has stressed that he wants the Celtics to to push the pace, and they they're tracking pitch aheads and points off pitch aheads, which I've never heard before. Um, I don't know if that's something Brad what qualifies as a pitch ahead. Oh, how does that get registered? As so a in, in transition, if, if Peyton Pritchard has the ball and he, you know, outlets it out or throws it out to somebody far so down the court. It's an outlet pass from a pitch ahead. I, I would get like an, like a, a Jared Sullinger outlet pass down the court would, would be, Labeled a pitch ahead would be my guess. All right. Um, so, yeah, and it's obvious. And then what? probably the most interesting thing from my perspective that Missoula has said while they're in Vegas is that they think that guys who play with pace, guys who, you know, really play with a sense of urgency on offense, like guys who are going to be cutting hard and stuff like that, that's what they're looking for next to Tatum and Brown. And so we talk a lot about how they need shooting, how they need this and that. But I do think that more activity and because those guys, like, for as good as they are, they're not the best off-ball players. Um, they're not going to be rocketing around screens. They're, they're not – and we saw that last season. And so I think if you can give them guys who are going to, to do some of that and, and be really – you know, intent on getting out in transition, running lanes, everything like that, then that, that could be very helpful. And that's been a, a huge focus for them. Uh, I think that's one thing we've seen with some successful teams over the past couple of years. I'm thinking of the Lakers specifically. The Lakers have not really had a great half-court offense, but one way to avoid kind of getting into your half-court offense is playing great defense and getting out in transition. And you just you rely less on spacing if you're just getting those easy baskets. And so the speed – Love tracking the pitch ahead, so I hope they uh, I hope they keep tracking that stat throughout the rest of summer league. But that's just another way to play fast. You mentioned uh, playing off ball, Aaron Neesmith. If he can be a guy who comes off screens and can shoot off the catch and knock down threes the way he was against the Nuggets summer league team, that it just creates so much more pressure on the defense if you have to keep track of him and he's constantly moving. What have you seen from Neesmith uh, other than just straight buckets uh, so far in summer league? I just think he's more comfortable. You know, there there was, especially early in his rookie season, he looked lost. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't look confident. And and now he's comfortable. Now now he knows what's going on. Now the game the game is totally slowed for him. And I, I think even when he missed shots during the first game, that was obvious. Like he was getting the looks he wanted. He was getting the shots he wanted. And and he's comfortable. And and that. Obviously, that 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 started to evolve in his rookie season. By the end of his rookie season, he was playing pretty well, 
And for him to take a step forward, I think the shooting is going to be the most important. He's talked about how he wants to, you know, work on shots when he's more contested and and hit, be able to hit shots when, you know, there's a hand in his face. And I, I think he has a chance to be a great, great shooter because he has size. He can, he can shoot off the move. He can do a lot of those things. And if he can continue to hone that and harness that, then, then that's a skill that will fit so well next to Tatum and Brown. Um, but at, at this stage, you know, he was an up-and-down shooter as a rookie, and he's got to prove that he can, he can do that consistently at the NBA level before I'm willing to give him the high-level young shooter role or label that, that Ime Udoka Apparently, well, he is, he, in college, he was a high-level shooter, and he is young. I think it uh, you can you got to hype up your own guys so they start believing it. Do you think there's a space or a potential for Neesmith to step into a – like I've seen some start Neesmith stuff just because he does have that size and gives you um, much more spacing. Is there potential for him to kind of evolve into that? I don't think it's something that's going to – he's going to start the season, obviously, in the starting five, but – like, is the Celtics, are they at their best uh, potentially with, like, Aaron Neesmith knocking down 40% of his threes and, and being out there with his high energy? Yeah, I, I obviously, I don't know yet. Um, I think they'll, they'll need spacing both in the starting lineup and on the bench. Like, you look at their bench guys. and So play Neesmith all 48 is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, like, what is their bench going to be? Maybe Schroeder, maybe Chris Dunn. Maybe Ennis Cantor, like they're going to need shooting everywhere, whether it's starting, whether it's off the bench, anybody but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And maybe Aaron Neesmith and Pritchard are shooting problems. Al Horford can shoot a little bit. He can, he can space the court, uh, obviously, but like they, they really don't have, like they have a lot of bad shooters in their rotation or not great shooters at least. So yeah, it's a skill that's going to be like a priority for them, and Neesmith can do it, and I think he can do it. They think he can do it. He thinks he can do it. Now he's just got to do it. With him, that was high level up. analysis. That was great analysis. He just needs to do it. But I think the thing that's interesting is like, where does that leave? Say Neesmith does show up and do it. Where does that leave uh, Romeo Langford? Like he. Clearly they need – he knocked down a big three in game one of Summer League, but I don't know if that's indicative of him being a reliable three-point shooter. He's been athletic uh, when he's made impacts so far. It's been on the defensive end. Like we said, they feel like they have a lot of kind of guards, less so wings who can be impact defensively. Like what is Romeo's role on this team moving forward, and has he shown any growth or is he demonstrably better – or more locked in um, in this very small sample size uh, of two summer league games. Other than his haircut, other than his number change, other than the, uh, like an amazing dunk, what do we what do we see? You've seen from Romeo, and what do we expect from Romeo starting next season? He could prove me wrong, but I think he's in danger of being lost on this roster because there's a lot of overlap for what he brings. There are a lot of other guys who can bring that defense, that intensity that ball pressure, and he just hasn't found ways to impact an offense. And he's got to do that. 
he has to be able to find some sort of offensive niche. I don't know whether that's being a, a ball handler. I don't know whether that's being, you know, a, a more competent three point shooter. I don't know. I don't know what the lane for him is, the path for him is to being a competent offensive player. And that's a problem. And I, I think because Emil Dokic will probably be prioritizing shooting on some of the like fringe rotation pieces that like Romeo doesn't fit into that. And I, I just think that the way that things are set up uh, on this roster and, and things could definitely change. He could take advantage of an opportunity. He could, you know, just set the world on fire in training camp. Anything could happen. But as I look at things right now, you know, there are a lot of guys ahead of him on that depth chart. And and he's going to have to force his way into the rotation. He's going to have to, you know, really convince the coaching staff that he's a better option than some of the veterans. And, and also Neesmith, who brings a lot of what Romeo does defensively and then adds the element of being a high-level young shooter. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what role or what lineup – where Romeo fits in, like if they're trying to go super long and switchy, I still feel like there's probably five guys who you would rather have on the court than Romeo. Like maybe if they want to go with a longer switchy bench unit, then you can put in Romeo and Neesmith and like, but he feels like just absolutely a regular season player. And I just don't know uh, where exactly that fits. Um, and, I, but I think the similar question uh for Grant Williams, who's not playing summer league. There's a lot of like discussion about why he's not playing. Obviously he's played a lot more minutes than um, Romeo. uh, But I don't know if Grant necessarily has a fit on this uh, roster either. He is the new VP of the players association, uh, which is a cool, great for Grant. That's but I see Grant being the most effective as a small ball five they bring in Ennis Cantor. They already have Robert Williams. They have all Al Horford. Grant would be, I think, the fourth string center right now. I don't know if he's that effective uh, at power forward, but we have mentioned kind of the need for them to have someone play in that power forward position. I guess one's what's your reaction to him not playing summer league? Because Romeo was basically told you need to play summer league, which I thought was a hilarious quote. Uh, and it makes sense just given how little time he's played uh, in the NBA so far. But what do you think Grant – what do you think of him about him not playing? And what do you think, where did he fit in this roster? Uh, just considering how many bigger guys they have in front of him on the depth chart. I think it, it, it was, a, if I were him, I would have chosen to play in summer league. I, I'll say that because when the team comes to you and gives you the opportunity to play, they probably want you to play. <laughs> and did they give him the opportunity and he declined? Yeah. Yeah. He, he spoke to a Sherrod Blakely about that and and told Sherrod that the Celtics gave him the opportunity and, and he turned it down. Um, they said, you know, you can do either way. You, you can play, you can not play. It's your choice. And he decided not to. I think... I, not a I, great look. <laughs> I question whether that's the right decision because I think there are a lot of things that he needs to expand upon. And especially offensively, he needs to to show that he can hit shots. He needs to show that 
he, he can, doesn't have a thing. Like, what does he do offensively that is like a solid skill that you can rely upon Grant? Like he's his best thing, I think, is hustle and defensive and, and rebounding. But on offense, I don't know what he does. He he he's not a guy you can pick and pop with. He's not a, like a role guy. It's very uh, difficult to figure out, like, how is he adding value on the uh, – especially in the half court. Yeah, and, and I think there are skills there. Like, he he is a high IQ guy. Um, he hasn't really shown much of his passing, but at Tennessee he was a very good passer. But are you going to run with, like, offense, like give it to him at the elbow? I think, and- like, he, he could probably do a better job of, like, punishing switches in the post. Like, he, he is a good post player. So there, there's a lot that he could improve upon, but but he needs to show he can do it. And then he's another guy that could get squeezed out of the rotation because the Celtics are going to need to to put shooting in there. And and I do think there there's going to be a need for them to have size, to have physicality, and Grant Grant does that. Grant sometimes does too much of that and gets called for fouls. And he's very good at going straight up, though. Except when he hip checks you and and gets a foul, um, but but yeah, I just think like he's he's another guy who he has a lot of details to refine, and but there is a path to playing time for him because, like I said, the power forward position is something that that they're they're going to need to be a little bigger there at times and. And they don't have Shemi Ojale anymore. And Grant is like their lone guy in that mold. Assuming Jabari Parker was on a non-guaranteed deal, does does not make the final roster. So he 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 has a unique physicality on that team. And maybe that helps him get on the court. Um and who knows, maybe it's a good decision for him to be in summer league and he's he's spending the offseason working on the skills that he needs to to be more of an impact player offensively um but i i just felt like like he could have benefited from from a little bit of uh summer league action and he's not a guy even though he's been in the rotation a lot for his first two years like he's not a guy that's like necessary like too good for summer league or something like that I think he didn't Jalen Brown even play summer league his third year. I think it was the type of thing where he played. He played like a few games, one or two games, and then it was like, all right, good to go. Which is, I think, I think that's the move if you're a third league guy. Is you just go, you work out with the team, and you play a couple games, and um, I think it makes sense. The thing about Grant is he did play 63 games last year, and so he does have a lot of NBA experience. So I can understand him thinking like, I don't like necessarily need to. like you, you want him to, I guess, be hungrier and kind of wanted to prove himself, but he does like out of compared to Romeo, he has so much more NBA experience. The fact that he played 63 games last year, started nine of them. And now we're talking about where he fits on the roster. Is that a sign that the Celtics have upgraded their roster because they don't have a need to play him necessarily 63 games? Or is no, it just I- that they brought in a bunch of guys who play much smaller? And uh, I think position? it's more of a sign that. In those 63 games, he just wasn't very good. Huh, so it's all Grant's fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, like, it's not necessarily that they've upgraded. They they certainly have not upgraded the position he plays, which last year was normally four. Um, 
I just think that in his second year, his progress stalled. I thought he had a promising rookie season. I thought defensively he showed a lot. Um, I thought even during the playoffs that rookie year, some of the Celtics' best defensive stretches came with Grant on the court and specifically when he was at center. But year two, he didn't show much progress. And may- maybe that's partly due to the pandemic. Maybe that's partly due to the lack of an offseason, the lack of time to improve, everything like that. That all factors into it. But the the reason we're talking about him in this way is because in his second season, he didn't he stalled out. He didn't show progress. Um, he remained very foul prone. He 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 started off hot from three point range, but then after the All Star break, started missing very consistently again. He did finish the year shooting 37% from three, which is not bad over an entire season for a guy at his size. Yeah, but he didn't shoot much. And if you look at the splits, like that was only, very, only very game. Yeah. weighed heavily toward, you know, a, a hot couple months at the beginning of the season. And then if you look at it after the All-Star break, I think he was like 23% or something like that. It was in the 20s. Um, so he still has a lot to prove as a shooter. Teams still leave him wide open. And so th- I, I think that's why the conversation about Grant is what it is rather than, you know, that they've upgraded the roster. I, I think they've upgraded the roster. Um, I think they've found more defensive aptitude. I think they have a, a path to potentially having a very disruptive defense this season. And, and there's at least like a, a way for them to, to choose to kind of defend and and have a, a bunch of similar long athletic guys on the court. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. We are 36, almost 37 minutes into our first summer league podcast, and I'm yeah. shocked we have not brought up the legend. More legendary than Witness Protection Program, Jay King, live from the Sunset Strip. Yam Madar. The Yam train is here. After that first game, I thought Yam is destined for greatness. Yam thinks he's coming over. Yam plans to play on the Celtics uh, next year. I don't know if that's in the future for Yam because the Celtics, after signing Schroeder, currently have 15 guaranteed contracts. and Plus if, Jabari Parker was on a non-guaranteed deal. And they could only sign him to a two-year, I think, minimum contract now. I mean, just talk about the Yam experience. He he's he was a lot of fun in that first game, doing some crazy uh, stuff. Plays with a lot of confidence. Uh, Cedric Maxwell said he plays with a lot of arrogance, which I liked. Um, he's got swag. He's definitely got swag. What's it like to experience Yam in person? It's electric. Uh, no, but he he obviously is a, another guy. He disrupts the ball handler. You know, he, he plays hard. He. He does have a flair to his game. Some of his passes are just really creative. I, I think the one thing that stood out about, or not the one thing, but one thing that stood out beyond all the positives is he needs a lot of physical development. Like he he's a skinny teenager, man. You know, like he 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 really has a a lot of of strength development that he needs to do. I think to to be more of an option at the NBA level. You hear um, that, Yom? Jay King is calling you small and a weak boy. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> you heard that, Yom, and there's nothing you can do about it because you're a small, weak boy. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, he's exciting. He he does play with a style that's, that's fun. He has a bravado to him. Um, but I think at this stage, like, Peyton Pritchard is very clearly a more polished, developed point guard and and yam is going to have to probably develop overseas i would imagine the schroeder deal like pretty much ended all hopes of of yam playing on the celtics this season even though he wants to and even though he he said he hoped he was going to or thought he was going to um, is there any way they can get him to a two-way contract they've already signed hauser for a two-way um i just don't know how the cap things works like could they give uh sign him for that second two-way uh or is that already given to taco fall what's taco fall status yeah He's i don't know what, i don't know what the, the two-way deal league. is um yeah i was i was surprised like that we haven't heard anything really about tremont or taco at this stage of the offseason well tremont's gone tremont obviously wants an opportunity in but a, i mean like where's he gonna play you know like we it's haven't. not good for him that he's not on a summer league roster right now, because uh, that's normally the path for young players to make it into the league. Speaking of uh, former young Celtics, I saw RJ Hunter in Las Vegas at the craps that, table. That's a good dude. No, <laughs> just, just walking on the side of the road. RJ that's Hunter. not something that happens in Vegas. I mean, one time I think me and you walked from uh, all the way to UNLV campus back to the strip and it was awful it was about 104 degrees out but walking on the side of the road is not something that normally happens unless you're talking about like in between casinos yeah it was in between casinos okay that makes sense. saw my man rj hunter who's playing for the sydney kings the sydney kings that good for rj um one thing that's interesting someone who did get added to the uh, celtic summer league roster Former standout at the University of Maryland, Bruno Fernando, playing big. He is one of those 15 guaranteed contracts. Uh, what, what's your impression of Fernando, and is he just the 15th guy in the roster at this point? Actually, I would put him 13th, Chris Dunn 14th, and Carson Edwards 15th. But what what can they expect from uh, Fernando? I mean, I don't think they should expect much from Bruno Fernando. He is large, though. Being large is important. Being large is important, and he's large and athletic. He's he's a mobile large guy. You know, he, he's not some just big old stiff. He's young. He's he's just about to turn twenty three um, on August fifteenth. So that's very soon. He, uh, I, I thought he was impressive during his summer league debut. I thought he brought a level of physicality. He clearly likes defense. Um, said his favorite player is Kevin Garnett, which obviously wins, wins points from Celtics fans every He's time. He's done his research, yeah. That's he, he also went on to say that sometimes he just talks talks nonsense on the court. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's taking that, that Kevin Garnett role seriously. Um, but, yeah, I mean – if you look at the roster, there's very little path to playing time for him. You got Robert Williams. You got Al Horford. You got Ennis Cantor. You even got Grant Williams, who's been successful at center in the past. So there are a lot of guys in front of him. Um, 
but he is a big dude. He's a muscular dude. He's a, a dude who can provide some physicality and wants to do all the dirty stuff. So maybe there's some upside there, but we'll see about that. Um, this is obviously do, something we talk when we're when we're talking into uh, analyzing what Bruno Fernando's uh, contributions to the team is going to be. Yeah, he didn't he didn't play much in Atlanta last year. He probably thirty three games averaged seven minutes in those thirty three games. One point five points per game. I think he uh, could make a bigger impact uh, moving forward, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. I, I just think there's unless the Celtics have injuries like he he will probably get very few opportunities this year there are just too many proven guys in front of them uh the other one other guy from summer league that we have to talk about the french phenom juhan tell me what you've seen from this super freak athlete he's amazing making defensive plays i'm loving it uh love that he can just develop in france one more year I have no idea what he's going to turn into, but he's like really just athletically gifted. And that, that stands out even watching on television. Yeah. And, and the other part of that, that I've been impressed by is he hasn't really forced too much, you know, like a lot of young guys, especially young, very athletic guys. And he's considered very raw. Um, he, he hasn't forced stuff. He's kind of played his role. I asked him yesterday, if he'd ever played center overseas, he's like, never. <laughs> and, and the Celtics threw him in as small ball center at six foot five. And he's strong enough. He's got quick enough feet. He stays in front of his man. He likes I think there, defense. He likes to steal. A, there's a lot to like there physically. Um, and if, if he can commit to playing that role of just, you know, Swiss army knife defense guy, who, who can drive a little uh, but doesn't force things, if, if he continues to develop a three-point shot, like there, there's something there with with my man Zhuhan. He, he's got some some physical tools that, you know, a, a versatile wing. He already has them at 19 or whatever he is. Um, very young dude. So he, uh, he definitely wanted to play for the Celtics this season. There's – no path, no realistic path to that, I think. Um, but I think he, he's been pretty promising uh, as far as like the defensive versatility and showing that he has some of the traits that the modern NBA really, really values. And, and uh, just he's shopping. big and strong like, and athletic. able to knock down some corner threes. They're just like, okay, I know it's summer league, but like that's what you want to see any guy uh, who's trying to make the league who's just like, uh, Willingness to take that shot. Shout out to Ben Simmons, but just a a guy who can just comfortably catch and shoot from the corners. Like that's what an athletic wing needs to do in the NBA. And so seeing his kind of freakish athleticism, um, but also his shot making, I think the shot's always going to be the biggest question with him. Seeing him just knocking down shots with ease uh, in his first kind of real, not NBA action, but NBA light action. uh, I just thought was a a good sign from Beharon who has no chance of being on the Celtics this year, but uh, I think it's a good just sign. And uh, this is going to be the, what we see from him. And then we're going to see some, uh, some YouTube highlights uh, of him playing in the French league. But I think it's, yeah. uh, it's a, it's a fun opportunity to kind of see what he might be able to do. And it's, a, I think it's a good flyer draft pick because he does have the tools 
of players that are very valuable in the NBA. Like if, if you can guard credibly from power forwards to point guards, then there's usually a space for you on an NBA roster. And he's shown a little bit of that in summer league. And I, uh, I felt bad. I, I was interviewing him and he didn't really, like I, I had to keep repeating myself cause he didn't really know, know what I was saying. But then I asked him if language was, was a barrier on the court. And he's like, Nope, not at all. <laughs> they didn't provide so, him with a French translator. No. I mean, he can, he can speak English. He's totally fine. But it was like, it was in a chaotic room and a lot was going on and and Zhuhan did not know what I was saying. Maybe maybe that's something that the kid needs to work on, maybe uh practices enunciation. Um maybe like let's not blame the French eighteen year old. Uh, yeah, I was probably asking way too complicated questions to a, a teenager who's who English is his second language. So hand up. That's on me. That's accountability. I'm, I'm, I'm like a this. dumbass. That was that was all my fault. Um, I'm going to save the debate that everyone's wanting to hear for later in the summer for that 15th roster spot. Uh, Carson Edwards versus Jabari Parker. I think we're going to – we can dive into that later in the summer. But before we go, I just have to mention, this is not something you got to experience um, because you're live at the games. But NBC Sports Boston, the first broadcast, they had uh, Abby – Chris Forsberg, and then they had Scal and Chris Mannix on. And there's basically not a real broadcast. It's kind of like a, a conversation. But, man, Scal and Chris Mannix were both miserable, and they did not want to be on the broadcast, and it was hilarious. Like, Scal was just grumpy that they pulled him out of his uh, to kind of do this broadcast. Mannix seemed pissed off that he had, like, to – he's clearly in Vegas and is doing a bunch of networking and stuff, but they were just both – miserable shitting on the entire offseason anytime uh forsberg tried to start the yam hype train they were just like oh you're reacting to summer league you you casuals they were just furious to be on television and it was a uh, it turned into a fun experience it was a little jarring at first to see two men very upset to be on live television but eventually once you leaned in it was just uh it was a good old-fashioned uh, good time that's unfortunate that i missed that i, I would have liked to see those guys just bickering about about God knows what. And there's a lot of times where it's like Scouts like, well, you guys think that, but I really know basketball. And he's just like looked like he's in a cave. They put up a 2008 banner behind him just to make it look more friendly, but he does not want to be there. They brought in Cedric Maxwell, who seemed to lighten the mood, obviously, uh, because it's Cedric Maxwell for the second game, but still do not want to be on television during the summer. They're basically treating it like summer school. That was fantastic. Jay, I'm going to turn it over to you now. You've... I feel like Las Vegas Jay King might be the most powerful Jay King. Uh, I just want to hear your reports from Summer League. What's it like to be back? Uh, what's it like to be at the gym? Uh, observations from uh, games or other teams? Just what's going on in Vegas? Give us the Jay King Vegas report. It's it's fantastic out here, man. Uh, it's just awesome to be able to actually cover games again. Like, as, as reporters, we are – we hate scrums. Like there is nothing worse than sitting with 30 sweaty, fat reporters and holding out your, your recorder and asking guys questions, asking guys questions. They don't want to answer, but now it's awesome to be in a scrum because for 18 months, whatever it was, we haven't had that. It's been all zoom calls. Um, So I'm just 
really appreciative of being able to talk to guys. Peyton Pritchard, I wrote a, a in-depth feature on him. I covered him for a full season. I introduced myself to him the other day, you That's know, wild. and it's just just so strange that that these guys who, you know, I've been covering for a while, like just never met them before, and so that part has just been crazy. And yeah, I was I was talking to, to Peyton, and I was like, yeah, man, it's so weird. I haven't met you yet. He's like, I don't I don't I don't know, know who, who you are, are man. <laughs> I talked to your high school coach. I talked to this person. I was like, I talked to you, man. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, he was looking at me like, yeah, okay, man, like whatever. Weird as hell. Um, are there been yeah, any it's... prospects that have been, like stood out to you? Were you able to see Cade or Jalen Green or any like uh, Scotty Barnes? Anything? Have you been able to go to any other games? And if there are any players who have been like, "Wow, this guy pops in person." Yeah, I think Jalen Green has a chance to be special. Like, I didn't watch a lot of him in the G League. I didn't scout a lot of him because the Celtics obviously weren't going to be in position to to draft him. So he's he's eye opening, man. Like that that kid is very very gifted. Uh, I thought Davion Mitchell was his defense just really, really stood out. Um, and then like just who else has been really good? Um, Aaron Neesmith. Aaron Neesmith was Peyton pretty, pretty damn good. Both, both of them were pretty <laughs> damn good in that, uh, that second game. Yeah. Uh, what else, what else has been a standout from or like, who's their favorite NBA reporter that you've gotten to see and schmooze with uh, on ball in Las Vegas? My favorite is it Tim Bontemps? I bet it's Tim Bontemps. Uh, no, I, I haven't hung out with Bontemps out here. Uh, I mean, I, I talked to him. I, I, oh, Bull Bull, Bull Bull, Aaron Freeman asking about Bull Bull, who is uh, he's electric and he's a crowd pleaser. He is an absolute crowd pleaser. The during the whenever Bull Bull did anything in that Celtics Nuggets game, the crowd just went bonkers. They are. Big bull bull fans, not not nobody gets the, the taco experience though. Taco was just a Vegas legend. What? Where is Taco? We got to pour one out for Taco. Is he is he out the league? Have we just have we seen the the final games of Taco Fall? I honestly don't know what's going on with his situation. Um, so I'm not sure. And not then, reporting anything. This is pure speculation because I don't have any connections. But it's just weird to see him. You think if he's not going to be on the Celtics, he's going to try to be um, like make it with another team. But summer leagues, the place are going to do that. So uh, somewhat sad for the for the taco. No one's going to rep, be able to replicate the kind of the taco experience in Vegas. That was pretty wild. But even just the taco experience anywhere he plays. Uh, Why aren't you in Vegas? You always come to Vegas. Uh, because uh, I got. St- stuff to do also i'm going on vacation next week to somewhere that's not vegas and so uh i don't think i could do two vacations uh in one year next year uh i'll try to get back to vegas we've had some of our greatest podcast moments in vegas that things we can't even talk about on the podcast uh so i do miss uh not being able to go to summer league but uh, i saw your boy nick freeman I'm, I was going to say i heard him I, I smacked the shit out of him when i when i walked by him to get his attention did he say what up? Did he remember who you were? What do you mean? Did he remember who I am? I don't know. Maybe he's going to big time you. I mean, he's a uh, motherfucker. He's know, coaching the hottest, the youngest team in the league. I mean, people are writing articles. Kelly Oubre Jr. is going there. Ish Smith 
I mean, it's the Hornets are the place to be, baby. And it's because Nick Freeman's creating this environment of a fun time. Nick Freeman front of the bench for the first time. It was a big accomplishment for him. Uh, it's going to be front of the bench in summer league. Hopefully that translate to big figures, Mitch Kupchak. He's still waiting on that contract and we need big figures for Nick Freeman. Big figures. <laughs> He's Huge an assistant figures. coach now. He is an assistant coach. He's no longer a player development guy. He's an assistant coach. And Cupcheck, Jordan, you le- hear me? We need you to pay up. So if you see Nick Freeman de- again, tell him I'm, I'm advocating for him. I'm basically going to law school just so I can become his agent. So three years from now, expect even bigger figures for Nick Freeman. Uh, Jay mentioned it, but I'm going to be on vacation next week. Jay's going to be on vacation next week. So we will be taking a break from the podcast. We'll be come back to you. After that, so two weeks from now, with a full analysis of Summer League, uh, who knows what else we'll be talking about. Uh, We'll finally settle the debate, Carson Edwards versus Jabari Parker. Who's going to get that 15th roster spot? Uh, Thank you for everyone who's listening. Thanks for everyone commenting and watching on the YouTube. You can now watch all of our shows live on YouTube. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch the video. You can see Jay being in witness protection down there in uh, Las Vegas, a silhouette screen. Um, you can see me flexing the guns uh, here in Boston. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for subscribing. Give us five stars. Do all those things. And Jay, I got nothing. I got no. I don't, I don't know what to ask about. You ask me a question. Is nothing potable? Anything is potable.